Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello there, post-show recaps listeners. Welcome back to the Umbrella Academy Recap Podcast. Hello to all my superheroes, my extraordinaries, and everyone like me who can't decide if I prefer teleportation or telekinesis. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski, and I'm here to break down everything that happened in season one of the Umbrella Academy. And I'm joined, as before, with the wonderful Marissa Garza. Marissa, how are you doing this evening? I, you know, <laughs> I I'm just super. this evening. And I realized time, that's my time typical. Is time is time. Time is doesn't matter. Time doesn't I just matter. said evening out of habit, but it <laughs> yeah. is morning. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but it's evening somewhere else, or you could be listening to this in the evening. And as we explore in the Umbrella Academy, time is time is an element, right? Time that we is are flexible. Yes. So no matter what time it is, I'm doing good. Great. Uh, yeah. If you listen to our kickoff show, you know that we have started a new podcast over here on Post Show Recaps covering the Umbrella Academy in light of season three that is coming out very soon. So we're going through, we're going to break down season one in this episode and season two in the next one, and then we'll have full coverage of season three episode by episode as it comes out. So we're really excited to get to all that. And I'm just going to say up at the top here, if you want to subscribe to the Umbrella Academy feed, you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash umbrella pod to never miss an episode episode of our Umbrella Academy podcast. So stay under the umbrella with us. Stay under the umbrella. I know. Does anyone else have a Rihanna song pop into their head? Every time. <laughs> yeah. Every time. Every time. Perfect. Well, thanks Tom Holland for that one, really. <laughs> yeah. So 
<clears throat> just a spoiler notice up front, this will be full spoilers for season one. If you, for some reason, are listening to this and have never seen season one, first off, I recommend it. But also, feel free to just listen along if you're curious about what the show's about. Maybe it'll inspire you to watch the show. But we will be diving into complete spoilers as we recap. We might possibly mention some things from season two, but we're going to really try to focus just on season one content in this episode. Yes. Season one. I mean, it's a very good place to start, season one. <laughs> I mean, like you said, time is uh, time is I mean, flexible. It's, Maybe. A, it's a choice. Maybe you watch backwards. I don't know. I don't know. That'd be an interesting thought experiment, actually, just because of the way that time travel works in this show. Like, how confusing would it be if you started with season two and then watched season one? Or watched, like, uh, it backwards. Like, did oh. season one, like... 10 through 10, 9, 8. Oh, that would be interesting. You know, I think that's a thing. Ideas for other people for podcasts. If Take a show and watch <laughs> it backwards and see if you can discover the characterization in reverse. See how interesting like, that is. Like Memento. Like that, yeah, it would yeah. be a lot like that. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. I'll just file that away for yeah. future plans. Lock that one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as we mentioned in the kickoff show, The Umbrella Academy is a show about I was gonna say washed up superheroes, but they're not washed up. They're just like they're like retired childhood superheroes. It's like child actors who get older and decide to stop being actors in some way. Uh, that's kind of what it's like. It's about it's about these superheroes who are all in a family, adoptive family together, and now they're. 30 years old, reuniting for the first time in for some of them like 12 years since they've seen each other. Uh, show starts out where they've discovered their adoptive father has died and they are all reuniting for his funeral. So the show really goes on from there. It's a wild ride of discovery of superpowers, uh, learning about past trauma and mm. connecting as a family. Yeah. Like it's a trope we've seen like in, in other, um, you know, other TV shows, right? Like there's a, uh, an estranged family that has to come together for like some sort of family event, be it Christmas or a funeral or a wedding or something like that. And so that's what like got me into, I was like, okay, like this is familiar territory. But then I was like, wait, where are we going with this? <laughs> this is, this is different and new and exciting. So I liked the, how they used that and made it different and made it their own. Yeah. And Different people have completely different reactions to this show. I was talking to one of my friends last night, and they said, yeah, I never got into that show. I watched the opening scene and was a little thrown oh. off, which is totally understandable because I forgot, having seen the show and seen it twice through now, I forgot how wild the opening scene is and how it's just so different than everything else you get because the opening scene is in 1989. Mm -hmm. uh, the first day of October, it says the 12th hour. So I guess that's noon. I don't know. Time zones. Yeah. Yeah, it depends. I mean. <laughs> the 12th hour of the first day of October in some time zone in 1989. And we are in, I think, Russia. And a woman gives birth. It's very, it's a very bizarre scene. She's just like chilling on the side of a pool. And then she jumps in the water. And all of a sudden, boom, giant pregnant belly gives birth out of nowhere and uh the narration over it is like around the world 43 women give birth all at the same time which was unusual considering none of them had been pregnant until literally the second they give birth yeah i mean 
you know, mammals have different gestation periods, but this was weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> like 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, and the way that they framed it was like, oh, this girl has a crush on a guy and they're going yeah. swimming, like all this stuff. And then it was like, oh my gosh, and boom, she's she's pregnant and she's having a kid. Uh, uh, imagine being that, that, uh, that guy that she was yeah, just right? flirting with. He's like, wait a second. I just kissed her on the cheek. That's what? it. That's <laughs> or I got got kissed on the cheek. Like, oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's it's a it's an opening for sure. And I could see how that maybe would throw you off, but you gotta you just gotta power through that, get to the next scene. Um, but it says that Sir Reginald Hargreaves, who was an eccentric scientist and billionaire, adopts mm. tries to go out and adopt as many of these 43 children as possible, and he gets seven of them. And then we have like a cute little montage of like, oh, look at all the little baby strollers walking around. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so this show is structured pretty interesting because it really plays around with the use of flashbacks, both flashbacks Mm -hmm. to 17 years ago when the children Mm -hmm. are younger, to 12 years ago, to five years ago, seven years ago. There's lots of flashbacks and flash forwards, technically. Mm -hmm. Uh, throughout the show that really build the the story uh, throughout the episodes. It's not exactly sequential. Like it kind of, like some of it is, but they definitely play around with the use of time in this in in I think a fun way. Kind of in the same way that they've been doing with like Survivor recently, mm, right? Yeah. Where someone's talking and then it was like, boom, flashback to that moment. It's not like they're trying to tell it out of order. They're just telling it in the way of if you were a fly on the wall to this family reuniting, they're not all going to get together and be like, mm-hmm. so brother who I haven't seen a long time, <laughs> whose superpower is this? And this is what you've been up to the last five years. It's like you find out what's happening and you find out about the characters as it goes along. And I mean, I think it lends itself really well to the fact that time is a big part of the plot here. Mm-hmm. We've got, you know, a lot of time jumping happening. And so to experience that as a viewer and as an audience, it kind of puts us more in touch with the characters and what they're experiencing if we're we're doing that as well as, as them. And yeah, like memories work work that way too, right? Like I'm I can remember something from the past, but I'm not in the past at that moment. Exactly. And it's fun because clearly this show, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it, it seems like a show that had a pretty big budget when they mm-hmm. were making it, especially for a Netflix show, which it, it kind of came out at the tail end of like when Netflix was doing a lot of really big budget series as opposed to like they, they've done limited series that seem to have a big budget. But uh, it seems like some of the shows they're making now are a little bit a little bit more hit and miss. Yeah, it's no stranger things, right? Like the the yeah. landscape of of um Netflix has changed a lot since Stranger Things premiered, but I think Umbrella Academy was able to kind of catch on to a little bit of that momentum and they got the money and they got, you know, the talent as well to oh, yeah. to be a part of this and um and the music budget. Like they got a lot. They got a lot to make this story. They did. I know. I started for my copious notes of the first five episodes highlighting all of the the big song breaks that happen. And maybe it was just me growing up listening to like all of my parents' music, but I'm like, mm. oh yes, every one of these songs. Because they were they're a little more in the like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna sound like such a music noob. I don't know, like classic rock kind of like era. retro like, okay as yeah, like an re- old like, yeah let's go with retro as opposed to classic rock <laughs> like classic rock to me is like the 70s music yeah no but i am like ex- i am accepting that now i might be moving into classic rock territory but yeah it's definitely like that retro like 
late 80s early 90s type of stuff it's not it's not stuff that we're listening to today for sure right um like we're not hearing any Dua Lipa or anything like that in here we're hearing you know not traditional rock but like new age rock yeah type of stuff and it's it's not that like listening to having like Dua Lipa in the in the show would have been bad, but it's something that makes it feel nostalgic and a yes. little bit more timeless, even though I'm pretty sure that the show was set during the present day of when it was coming out. Like I think this first yes. season is set in 2019 or I think you're right. Yeah. So, so it, it yeah, it it worked, which would also that would make sense given the 30 year age yep. that I was I sort of had to like calculate. <laughs> based on all the time jumps i'm like okay wait how old were they okay they said 17 years ago they were 13 so i'm pretty sure they're 30 now and uh at least with this show for the most part since everyone's the same age uh, with the exception of five we'll get to five uh, (laughs) everybody else is the same age you're just like oh yes we don't have to be like how old's this person they're all born on the same day (laughs) yeah and maybe like that's also part of the like maybe the music is for five you know like hey five (laughs) yes here's some good stuff for you yeah. So let's, speaking of that, let's talk about the characters. Yeah, let's uh, do it. We've got, let's say, seven main character children, although one of them is, they're certainly tiered in how much screen time mm. and importance they have, especially in this first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are organized by number because in the show, in the show, they don't actually specify where their numbers come from, one through seven, um, in the comic books. And I'll be sprinkling throughout this uh, recap some information from the comics, because like I said in the kickoff show, the Umbrella Academy is based on a series of comics by the same name written by Gerard Way, who was famously in the band um Oh my gosh, now I'm almost right. Is it My Chemical Romance? Yes. Yeah, okay, thank you. I was like, oh no, <laughs> I'm going to get the band wrong. My music, guys, my music skills, not great. <laughs> um, I'm so, here for you. We got yeah, this. thank you. Please correct me on anything I say wrong. So uh, the comic books, while definitely sharing a lot of similarities with the show, the show takes a bit of deviation in some of the plot points. Um, but for the most part, the, the first season of the show... Um, follows roughly the general idea of the the first main grouping of of comic books uh, called the apocalypse suite which which is a fitting name for this mm-hmm. uh, so mm-hmm. it, like in the first series uh, apocalypse suite comics uh, basically the general idea is that the group is all getting back together after their their father who in the comics is also referred to as the monocle Ooh. which um <laughs> they get back together after find, uh, finding out news of his death and they reunite when one of their own members becomes a supervillain which roughly what happens here so yeah. same kind of idea um yeah. in the comics the numbers are sorted there's sort of two theories about why they're sorted this way one is that they're they're sorted by how much uh like the priority list of what they're their father thought their powers were like which ones were most impressive to least impressive mr monocle mr monocle yeah and also like really super strength is number one here and i i feel like my order of which ones i think are like most impressive or useful skills are not necessarily the same order and then the other theory which also i don't really know exactly how much this one makes sense is that they're sorted by the 
second or possibly millisecond that they were born. So it's just in order of which they were born because they were all born at the same time, roughly, but maybe there was a very slight deviation. So those are kind of two comic book theories about their numbering. But in the show, they don't really specify with the exception of saying that number one, Luther is the leader. And so he really takes that like number one thing under his uh, belt. So Luther, super strength. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's okay. Um, they also all have like superhero alter ego nicknames, which some of them get mentioned in the show. Mm. Most are just from the comics. And so in the comic, he is known as Space Boy because he goes to the moon. That's, that's pretty yeah. much it. It doesn't really have anything to do with his <laughs> with his skill, but okay. <laughs> doesn't um, Allison's daughter refer to him as like Uncle Space Boy or something yeah, like that? Or like, moon I think he, man yeah, or moon man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's there somewhere, but it's not like they're calling each other by their nicknames in the TV show. Yeah. So Luther is a, a leader and he's tall. <laughs> And blonde and, blonde and a man. Um, he, uh, I'm trying to think of like, this is this is my knowledge of the actor. Uh, he was in some of the later seasons of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Made a small appearance as Sam Tarly's brother. Yes. So yes. did you, did you know him? character's name. It's something like, I'm looking uh, at right It's like Dickon like Dickon. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Dickon Tarly. Um, so I, for a while, when I first watched this show, I told someone, I was like, oh yeah, he plays, um, uh, oh my gosh, no, I'm forgetting his name. I was like, oh, he plays somebody in Harry Potter. And they're like, that's definitely not true. And I'm like, wait a second, why did I think that? And it's just because Dickon Tarly is played by two actors and the other actor was in Harry Potter. And I was like, oh, never mind. I'm just Nobody wants eight. to play Dickon. Nobody wants to nobody, play Dickon. Nobody wants to play okay. Dickon Tarly. It's fine. Uh, in the, a lot of fans of the comics think that his superpowers um, also are sort of a combination of Superman or Captain America in different mm-hmm. ways, especially when you get down to the like serum that has affected him, which we'll talk about more later yeah. because that's yep. plot. Um, second off, we have Diego, who his superpower is perfect aim or manipulation of the trajectory of objects within midair. And in the comics, he goes by the Kraken. What, what do you think of Diego? I, well, like Diego to me is just like the quintessential like assassin mm-hmm. sidekick. I'm like, oh, he's Robin. Like, that's what I thought of when I first yeah. saw him. But um you know, I liked the complexity that they gave him with his relationships that he has. Yes. And he also has, um, we learned throughout the course of season one that he like overcame a stutter and a speech impediment. And so being able to give that to someone who has like perfect aim, I thought was a really interesting like balance and juxtaposition of like, I can be super accurate when I'm throwing something, but it's really hard for me to speak eloquently and to speak um, I'm even having trouble doing, you know what I mean? Like it's hard to speak directly, but I can aim directly. And so, um, I thought that was an interesting character trait to, to give him. Was that the same in the comics as well? Uh, somewhat. I, the main thing in the comics is that he also has the skill to hold his breath for a long time, which oh. they don't really talk about in the show. Um, but th- they imply, especially in the first season and it continues on through the rest of the show that maybe these children have not discovered the full extent of a lot of their different powers and that there's probably more that they can lean into, which I think might have been 
intentional by the show so that they would give room for them to discover more elements of their abilities throughout the seasons. So I think maybe in season three, we'll see more, especially with, especially with number four. We'll get to, <laughs> we'll get to Cloud. Um, so yeah, Diego, I, I like what you said about his relationships with other people because he does come across kind of sidekicky, but he also has like the most, um, conflict with his mm-hmm. siblings like he's very or you're introduced to him and you're like okay rivalry with luther clearly they have a lot going on sort of that like number one number two kind of rivalry um he also seems to be by far the most upset with vanya and uh, the book that she wrote um mm-hmm. about their family he takes out a lot of his anger and he's very quick to act on a lot of his emotions but you do get a lot of his softer side especially with his relationship with their Robot Mom Grace. Yeah. Yes, Love of course. Robot you know, Mom. Robot Mom Grace. Yeah. I yeah. I really thought it was interesting that also um with Diego and how his emotions were like accepted in the family as and not and you know, there's another character whose emotions were not necessarily accepted in the family. And I just um, you know, I don't know if it's because he could manifest them out through like rage or throwing things or something like that. And in, in a way that people could understand. Um, but he also is like an emotionally deep character. These are all emotionally deep characters. They just explore them in different ways, which is another thing that drew me to the series. For sure. And we didn't mention it with Luther, but he clearly has a lot of, weight on his shoulders about trying to be the leader, trying to be the best, but also harboring some insecurities about himself, especially his appearance, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, and then in in a lot of the fans of the show and the comic have equated a lot of Diego's personality and skills to Batman or Hawkeye. Um, you can see that. The Hawkeye one is pretty accurate with like the the aim and the accuracy. And then Batman in terms of that, like Diego fancies himself a detective. And <laughs> he's one of the few who in present day at the start of the show is still actively using his abilities uh just sort of in the more like i'm gonna be a private vigilante like working for myself and not like uh doing it in any kind of legitimate fashion let's say yeah like Uh, green arrow he's green arrowing it up a a little bit like yeah it's kind of like that yeah (laughs) green arrow that would have been i feel like i would also put that in the list of similar um now we have Allison, who I would say, this is the, probably my most frustrating part of watching the show, is like, she has, without a doubt, one of the like most powerful abilities, mm-hmm. but it's just refusing to use it, and they need to give her like an emotional region, reason to not want to use her abilities. Otherwise, you could watch the show and be like, okay, everything could be solved if Allison would just use her ability, <laughs> you know? Like all Allison, right. how many rumors did you hear, Allison? Like, let's write, like, let's write the whole story with the rumors. Yes, no, I agree, I agree. Yes, the rumors. So in the comic book, she's known as the rumor, and I, I don't know if I mentioned that Diego is known as the Kraken. I think I did. I'm not mm-hmm. sure why he's called the Kraken. I feel like that doesn't really. I feel fit like anything. the name of the Kraken should more to another character? to another character. Yeah, so I don't know, but I think maybe maybe it has more to do with that whole holding breath thing from the comics. Yeah, book. that's probably yeah. Yeah, so Allison is able to, uh, I wrote mind control, but it's more like manipulating people's actions um, based on Jedi mind trick. Like, these are not the droids you're looking for. It's a lot like that. But instead of having to do the little hand wave, she just says, I heard a rumor and then something. So she'll be like, I heard a rumor that 
we're going to get paid $2 million for this <gasps> podcast. Wow. And then we get paid $2 million. Yeah. So <laughs> stuff like that, it, which works in crime fighting because she'll say like, I heard a rumor that you took out your your buddies who are robbing this bank. And I don't know why she just doesn't say like, I heard a rumor you guys decided not to rob this bank. <laughs> decided to stop. <laughs> but okay. We need the action. We need the Otherwise, the you know, action. what are our brothers going to do? You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so in the comics, Allison can also manipulate reality to some extent. Uh, like an example would be that she's if she's shopping in a store and they're out of stock of a particular item, she can make it like come back into stock right there and sort of reappear. Um, and she's also a lot more personality wise, like outwardly manipulative, like intentionally manipulative, uh, especially like in terms of her relationship with Luther, which in the show is a lot more natural and like from childhood. Whereas in the comic books, it's a little more implied that like she's kind of manipulating him mm. in, in order to get over some of her feelings about her divorce um she also looks different she has purple hair <laughs> and, and almost i'll say pretty much like up front almost everyone in the comic book has light skin and the mm. diversity in the show is a lot better so they they definitely uh fill out the diversity in in a way that's just much more visually appealing and 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 better <laughs> Good, better, but, but you know, I don't know. A comic book, I guess. I mean, everyone yeah. makes choices, and they make, like the comic book made a choice, and Netflix made a choice. And yep. I, I think what's interesting to me about Allison, and and it's hard, you know, we haven't really talked about this yet, but I think some of this is like very gendery, uh, like the the way that these these abilities are kind of assigned, right? So far, we've talked about Luther a male having super strength, Diego having per- a male having perfect aim, Allison as, as a woman having mind control is something mm-hmm. like historically um, women have been accused of doing for, for a very yeah. long time. And so, um, and especially given the, the fact that we know that Elliot Page is transitioning in the story as well as in real life has transitioned in real life. I'm interested to see how this maybe plays out in season three with the um, Sparrow Academy. Like maybe things will be assigned a little bit differently. But one of the things as I did my rewatch is I I was like, this is very like, I could just see certain things on one side of the spectrum and certain things on the other side of the spectrum. Um, And I see that here with Allison's ability for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... It's not like, it's just, it just is like, I'm not, it's it's interesting, you know, and I, I don't know if there's ever been any, like, announcement of reasoning, but, I, like, I also found it interesting that the comic books and the show, you know, there's seven children who, at least in the comic books, they decided seven, okay, we're going to have five mm-hmm. male characters and two female characters. I'm like, interesting, interesting mm-hmm. that you split it that way. I mean, like, do whatever you want, but... It's just interesting. I feel like when you're trying to like make a, a you know a, a wider selection of uh, people, but but even think about that, like shows like The Boys, where right. a, a higher percentage of the superheroes are male characters. I don't know. It's just interesting how they decide to break that out. But yeah, it's just something uh, yeah. to keep in mind as we continue to explore the series. I think it's yeah. a, a lens to look at it through. And and Allison. Um, I, I like a lot of Allison's 
character development within season two. So I'm excited to talk about Mm -hmm. that uh, Mm -hmm. next time. But um, in uh, fans have equated some of her skills to similar as the Black Canary or Scarlet Witch, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. both of which have vocal and um, sort of mind manipulation powers. So there's that. Um, Ah, okay. Number four, Klaus. Klaus Klaus is like one of my favorite characters, also extremely frustrating, but one of my favorite characters, one of my least favorite abilities. Oh, tell me why. I don't know, because it's creepy. (laughs) But so Klaus can uh he's he's a medium he can speak to the dead um he also sometimes and this is explored more later mild spoilers for Mm. season and the end of season one um has powers of evocation and can like bring spirits forth to present themselves like visually in the in the real world as well um with sometimes limited amount of like actual effect that those spirits can have on the people in the the uh, environment around them um he's referred to as the seance in the comics and um in the comics he's got a lot more abilities so i'm assuming we'll maybe explore some of those in season three uh, such as um telekinesis and telepathy as well so those are i guess those add to it because i don't know like communing with the dead in, in spirits i'm not really sure how like they don't even show in the mo- in the montage where they have all the kids like fighting at the bank they don't show Klaus yeah. doing anything in particular because like what would he do I don't know <laughs> talk to someone who just died I don't, or talk to the founder of the bank I, yeah. I I don't know yeah good call good call on that I think that um was interesting to me about Klaus is his drug addiction and mm-hmm. how that impacts his ability to use his ability and how his ability is used when he is using and when he is sober. And um, I just think that that, especially given his ability, you know, people, you know, can take psychedelic drugs and kind of have similar experiences. So it's kind of, it's just, it was an interesting pairing in my mind, just like with uh, Diego and the speech impediment. I thought this was an interesting pairing with Klaus as well. Yeah. So he is someone who, actively wants to limit his ability to use his powers basically because well, he's seen be as weird, being, right? <laughs> well, and he, and he's he's seen as like not having a whole lot of control over right. his power, um not really have spent having spent the time to learn it, which is kind of surprising. I mean, I guess it makes sense as a 30-year-old, but like when he was a child living in the Umbrella Academy, did his father not try to get him to learn his abilities a little bit more and uh i don't know like i feel like uh mr monocle man (laughs) like did good with the ones he understood yeah and this might be one that he doesn't understand very well and was because we know um medication was used to sort of dampen other abilities and mm-hmm. other and other children so i wonder i mean and also as a kid that has to be like super creepy super weird like just random dead people popping up talking to people and not really knowing how to either like use that to get information to help in some way or to bring healing or anything like that which i have to say Klaus in season two one of my favorite storylines but um season one class is fun to get to know because we can really start like peeling 
things away from him and let him kind of shine in season two. And I'm interesting to see like where he goes in season three. Uh, yeah. It, like Klaus is treated by his family in season one, even in flashbacks as kind of a lost cause, mm-hmm. like kind of an annoyance, kind of someone who they're like, Oh, roll your eyes at, but they sort of treat him like, I was going to say like a puppy. Like they, they're like, okay, yeah. all right, you can come along. All right. I'll help. I'll drive you around. It's like they, they sort of, they all disapprove, but it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg, right? Like, did he start using drugs in order to right. dampen some of the uh, tormenting that was happening from his ability to commune with ghosts? Or was he just a person who was interested as a child and like, oh, let's, uh, you know, let's see what, what's, what's this about? What's the alcohol about? You know, and then and then discovered, oh, this also, you know, stops some of the stuff I'm I'm dealing with. Maybe I'll keep it up unclear but or sometimes it enhances it and maybe that like that's what he was looking for too in certain circumstances you know right yeah so klaus is really interesting and someone who we definitely get to know a lot more about deeply throughout the throughout the show so um yeah klaus compared to the phantom uh the phantom stranger and dr strange in different ways um which makes more sense in the comics given the fact that he has a lot more abilities but Anyway, all right, five, who, look, don't bother researching why does he not have a name because they don't really give a great (laughs) explanation. It's like the explanation is like that he had a name at one point, but then nobody used it and they've all forgotten what it was. How does that work? That's not true. I mean, like, especially since they say in the show that Grace was the one who gave them all names. Like just ask Grace, like or I'll be like, great, give me a new name. I don't know. Maybe five just liked his name. Five. Like the the robot can only remember so much. Okay, oh my like she can't remember how she named these human children. I'm trying to see if there's been any more updates. Um, five doesn't have a name due to his jump in the future, and that Grace, the adoptive adoptive robot mother, gave the children their names. Uh. After he left, which doesn't really make any well, okay. So in the comic books, five jumps into the future when he's 10 years old, and in the show, it's when he's 13. But still, they waited for 10 years to give them names. Like, come on. I don't, I don't know if I buy that, but whatever. I don't, I don't mind, know. I don't mind five. I I, I think it works. It works for him at least. Yeah. I was trying to think it's like if he was a different number, like if he was six, would that be I don't think it like, would work. I don't think it would work. I think four would have worked, but the, oh, that's only because there is another book with a character named four. Oh, if you've read like the Div- yeah. Divergent series. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But although it'd be weird if his name was four just for that reason. It's like, well, you can't have two fours. So five, uh, whose, whose name, his alter ego name is just the boy because he's a boy. Right. He's 30 or more than 30. Ooh. Um, but But he's like 13 in the show. Like, always looks 13, which is pretty funny. I think it's mostly funny just when you're filming the show and be like, we have all these older actors and then we have, like, a 14-year-old <laughs> playing five. Well, and he's, like, carrying it, right? Like, he brings the maturity of, like, a 30-year-old oh, yeah. or at some times he refers to himself as, like, a 58-year-old. Yes. So he, like, brings it. And I was just looking up to see like, what else he was in to, like, get – he's, like, came up on Nickelodeon, I think. Oh, really? And, okay. Yeah. So – Kudos to Nick. Nick, 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 Nick. 
Nickelodeon <laughs> bringing us the the good stuff. But um, I I was really impressed with how he was able to to explore all of that. I mean, there's some easy things like I need a cup of coffee and I always need a cup of coffee. But then yeah. there's some other things that he was really able to to dive deeper into. So five and seven are, I'd say, probably the two biggest characters in the show or the, or the characters whose plots sort of matter the most mm-hmm. throughout the whole season. Um, five has the ability to teleport through time and space. Well, space first and then time. Yeah. Um, Although not necessarily very well through time, has not has not fully gotten a handle on that. Um, in the comics, he only has time and space travel, but in the show, he also has the ability to sort of manipulate time and in space uh, in different ways, especially in future seasons. Um, also, in the comics, Five and Luther are twin brothers. What? Yeah, like from the the same woman. So I guess boom. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, but uh, that did not happen. I I also think that the whole five and Luther being twin brothers doesn't fit in the comics with the theory that that has to do with the second that they were born. Because I mean, look, even if you have super fast pregnancy, you still have to give birth, and I don't think you can just like. (laughs) I mean. I don't know. Um, and he's compared to a, the Flash and Nightcrawler, although he doesn't have super speed, but I guess he can travel quickly. So there's that. He can, um, yeah. Boop, boop. Yeah. Five is five is really interesting. He's he's very like, again, 13 year old, but who acts surly like a 50 year old, eight year old man. Um, a lot of the frustration that I have watching the show is just like, if you people would communicate, you could all work together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's it's like family dynamics on top of like saving the world. But five treats everyone like they're so much younger than him and don't and and stupider that they yep. don't know things and so that he's he doesn't it takes a while for him to confide in people and try to get them on board uh so anyway five's interesting he's <laughs> very great acting though. um number six is ben who we know the least about because ben is deceased in yeah. the show doesn't mean he's not in the show though Correct. and this is why they're like hey Someone should have the ability to talk to dead people because then we can have Ben in the show. I really like, I thought that was interesting. Um, the first time I watched season one is just like how Ben is, is like, he's there, but he's also like there advising Klaus and really mm-hmm. like he's making things happen through Klaus, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, his ability, I didn't really fully understand until like later. <laughs> because we only see it every once in a while. Um, But it was really cool to see him as kind of like a companion for Klaus. Yeah, so officially, I'm trying to read the the way they describe it, because when I wrote it, I wrote chest monster, (laughs) because I was like, what? So Ben's ability is uh, eldritch tentacles. He can summon eldritch tentacles from a portal in his stomach. and also he has slight ability of possession, but that's mostly in season two. So we'll get that later. Um, he is known as the horror. For Why good isn't reason. he known as the Kraken? Like, <laughs> yeah, this is what, like going through these things. And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Diego's the Kraken. This uh, guy's the Kraken. Yep. So um, I can see Diego as the horror. Just switch it up. Just switch yeah. It up. 
I don't think we know in the show exactly when Ben died, but I'm going to say sometime around 15, 16, 17 in that area. Um, I think we find out officially in season two, they go into a little bit more about that. But what's interesting in the show is the fact that he is, is like a advisor to Klaus, but it doesn't seem like Klaus at any point has informed his siblings that he can see Ben and talk to Ben. Um, It it seems like Klaus, because all of the other siblings treat him like a lost cause and like someone who to not take seriously, he also doesn't even bother like trying to clue them in on what he's experiencing like the a lot of times the siblings will see him talking to himself or like looking over like talking to a person who's not there and they just don't bother asking about it they're like ah, whatever it's just klaus he's probably high and klaus also doesn't say like no no i'm i it's my i'm talking to brother yeah you're ben do you have anything you want to tell ben i could talk to ben i I think he's like also trying to keep this like his secret right like this is something just for him that he doesn't necessarily have to share with everyone else um because which must be so frustrating for ben by the way (laughs) yeah agreed agreed but there's also like another we see that he does this with another plot point throughout the season um where with his relationship that he had uh he he keeps that pretty close to the chest too um so i just think it's like a like a a character trait of Klaus and he does I think at the end of season one tells tells his siblings like hey look who's here it's Ben but at the beginning of the season it's definitely understood that like Ben's death had a very big impact on the family so much so that there's like a statue to Ben outside and like it's something that they don't necessarily talk about very much so I can kind of understand why Klaus would maybe also not want to bring it up like hey so you know the trauma that you feel all the time because you can't talk to Ben and you can't see Ben well I can do it all the time you know, that might make him, you know, feel, give the family more fuel to alienate him. Yeah. It's not explicitly said in the first season. It's sort of implied that Ben's uh, ability somehow it, it killed him, whether directly or just mentally. Um, it seems like he didn't like using his ability. Uh, the, his statue says something about the darkness within him taking over something about that. I should have written mm-hmm. it down. And um, he, <laughs> his relationship with Klaus is kind of used as comic relief sometimes in the show. Like Klaus will say things like, if Ben were here, he would agree with me. And then you'll see Ben. Ben's like, no, I definitely, <laughs> definitely would not. <laughs> uh, and he's compared to Dead Man, who I don't know who that is, um, or the Hulk, mostly in the mm. fact that he's uh, super powerful but doesn't want to use his abilities. Um And then we have Vanya, and I will be in season one referring to Vanya as Vanya because that is uh, the character's name in the show in season one. Um, As uh, Marissa mentioned earlier, um, Ellen Page transition is now Elliot Page, and um, the show in season three is uh, following that transition, and the character will um, also transition and um, be known as Victor. Uh, in season three so when we get to that point uh, just something to to note if you're wondering why i'm referring to them as vanya um it's how they're referred to in this first season um whose abilities 
begin with none <laughs> and then boom Vanya has all the power <laughs> mostly that uh, she can control sound waves and I just wrote very dangerous <laughs> as as someone who's 30 years old discovering their abilities uh really not knowing how to control them right off the bat uh, is the aforementioned family member who becomes sort of a supervillain <laughs> in this first season and as known in the comics and actually also partially in the show as the white violin I loved this whole thing, uh, mainly because as a child, like emotions, I had really big emotions and nobody could really understand my emotions. I couldn't understand my emotions. People around me couldn't understand my emotions. And so it was just like, let's suppress them. Let's like not deal with them. And then in in this instance, they're seen kind of as a superpower because, yes, you can control sound waves, but the trigger here is an emotional trigger it's it's she, her emotions kind of vibrate out of her as sound and um to kind of see emotions as a superpower like inner child marissa was very happy to see this <laughs> it's like hey look they're not all bad it's a thing that can you know in this case you know you have to learn how to harness them mm -hmm. but um they can they can be very powerful and they can be a superpower and so i just really liked what um at least the show was trying to say was that a focus in the comics as well yes um it, it definitely is i mean the comics i'd say with vanya are sort of most closely aligned for with what happens in the show in terms of Vanya being kind of an estranged member of the family was lonely treated differently as a child because to their knowledge had no superpowers um was not part of the Umbrella Academy crew uh, did not did not get branded with the uh, Umbrella Academy tattoo <laughs> things yeah. like that so um the part about Vanya's emotions really being let loose into their power also clearly stems from the fact that they've have a lot of childhood trauma that's been bottled up as well and so at first you know kind of explodes out at them um and we'll find out a lot more about that in flashback scenes throughout the season but clear that vanya um did have the powers all along but has been suppressing them um due to their father's sort of intentional medicating of them um in order to suppress those and also using allison's ability uh the rumor to make vanya and i guess the others all forget yeah. that vanya had any power to begin with and makes vanya believe that she is ordinary so yeah i mean like everyone's questioning their father at the beginning of this but then as the as the series goes on to see how he manipulated um allison into using her power against vanya was really hard to watch it was it was rough. yeah for sure all right well let's pause here for a quick break and then come back to the rest of the side characters Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, and now we're back and... Those were those were the main characters throughout the show. There's a couple side characters, some to more importance than others. Uh, we have Reginald Reggie Hargreaves. No one calls him Reggie. I think no. Ross does. <laughs> That's not really a thing. Um, who, yeah, is an eccentric billionaire. And I wrote alien in question mark. I see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's a couple moments, uh, especially in the very very end of the show and the first season and then parts in the second season um i mean even the fact that in the beginning when they have the the opening scene you see like a real quick it's like only like one or two seconds shot of like a i don't know some sort of flying ship thing that uh reginald hargreaves is is going around in um probably my favorite part about the whole reggie adopting all the children is just like he adopts all these children, treats them to be superheroes, and they're just sort of known like celebrity superheroes, but that that alone doesn't really seem to have changed the world at all. The world is, right. for the most part, exactly the same as the world we live in, and everyone's, like occasionally people are like, oh yeah, you were like one of those Umbrella Academy kids, right? Like, oh yeah, you're one of those people with superpowers. It's like everyone just kind of treats them normal. It's not like they're, they're, we don't really have any plots of people being like let's lock them up and study them, which is like the number one thing in superhero comics, right? Yeah. Or like the government trying to use them or, uh, you know, like so, like even ha- treating them like celebrities. Like, oh, could I get your autograph? Like Allison sometimes gets asked that because she's an actress, but right. that's basically it. So it's just interesting that they chose to make the, the comic books in the show be like, yeah, you know what? They're just kind of, the world's the same. Nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> They just sometimes fight crime, and that's it. It's like uh, they were the Brady Bunch or something, or the Partridge yeah. family. They're just like walking around being normal. Yeah, being normal. Um, Reggie is shown to be not very nice. Uh, treats his children like I don't even know what the right word is, like mm. soldiers or something, mm-hmm. or you mm-hmm. know more than more than children. Doesn't bother to name them. Um, he he builds a robot mom for them named Grace, uh, which we find out also uh, sort of built her in order to handle Vanya's mm-hmm. explosive powers when she was a child um, because she's more durable than all of the other sort of nannies that he had tried to hire. Um, humans, the other humans. Yeah, the, other, the other human nannies. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, we're going to need a, we're going to need a robot one yeah. um, who most of, most of grace we get like in relationship with 
Diego uh, and mm-hmm. Diego's fondness for her. Um, and I don't know. What do you think of Robot Grace? I just, I remember learning that it was Robot Grace. I was like, oh, whoa, this is weird. Also, like, what is the saying? Like, you know, like, what is the saying about a lot of things? It could be saying a lot of things about a lot of things. Like, what does it mean? Like, he couldn't handle the children, so he had to create a robot. And, like, a woman couldn't handle it, so it had to be a robot. And then also, like, he couldn't handle emotions. This is where your alien theory, alien situation might come into play because, Aliens probably don't understand human emotions. <laughs> so um, problem solving here with Grace is interesting. I thought it was uh, weird, uh, but also just like another eccentric element to the story that I was like, okay. But I also yeah. don't know like what they're trying, if there was a deeper purpose to it. Me thinking there's a deeper purpose to everything always is trying to find a deeper purpose. And here there might not be. It just might be let's throw a robot mom in the mix. I don't think you're wrong. I think that the comics probably come at it from a little bit more of an idea of like, oh, ha, wouldn't this be kooky to have like, you know, they're adoptive and uh, they're adopted by this billionaire who doesn't have time for personal relationships. So built a robot to like share that love and, uh, and stuff. There's definitely more commentary in the show about like the adults, especially Diego saying like, he, he left her, you know, he, she was basically a, a slave to him, you know, like didn't like she sort of shows that she has real emotions. And then throughout most of this first season, she appears to be sort of bugging out um, for mm. various plot reasons. But um, yeah, it's it's I, I don't think you're wrong about the, <laughs> like the, the commentary here. Well, and it was interesting that like the only way that she could really like the only independence that I think we saw from her, which is what I think Diego saw from her was her trying to help him get, get through a speech impediment, get through, you know, being able to say whatever the catchphrase was that he needed to say at the right time. And, you know, deal with the pressure of being able to say that Um, he was able to get through that because of grace. So she was, she had like fantastic AI. I got to say, like she knew (laughs) exactly like how to do things. Um, But her independence wasn't really there. Yeah. Not quite. And it's funny because this show has a lot of violent imagery and throwing knives and shooting. And there's several that stick in your mind after you've watched it. But for whatever reason, the one that like always grips me is the scene of Grace like the skin. sewing into her skin by accident because she's bugging out and she's trying to like complete a cross stitch but is like doing it into her own skin. Oh, I don't know why that like really. Ew. You got it. Same, same. Yeah, same. yeah. I was like, was a lot. like I could like mentally handle that she was a robot until they physically showed me that she was like a robot with the, with the needle in the skin. And then like I think later there's like actual yeah they like cut open her arm yeah yeah the wires and stuff inside yeah it's odd um there's a lot more that we find out about grace and maybe the inspiration for grace in season two so we'll get to that later um there's also (laughs) there's also a uh talking chimp yep named pogo the butler Maybe? I don't know what he is like. He is assistant scientist, butler, doctor. Like I don't really know exactly. Jeeves, what he is. is he Jeeves like? It's kind of Jeeves like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Pogo is interesting. 
Pogo's like the chimpanzee secret keeper for Reginald Hardgraves. He's he seems to have the most fondness for Reggie and is kind of like apologetic towards him. And because he it's implied that he gave him the ability to like speak and all of that. Um, I don't know. Pogo's like he's he's probably my least favorite element of the show. It's the part where I know some people were like, oh, yeah, I watched the show until there was a talking chimp. And then I was kind of yeah. out. And I'm like, I don't really know at that point like that that would be my deterrent. But I also feel like he kind of in season one, especially doesn't serve a whole lot of purpose except to be sort of someone who grew up with the children, fond of them and uh sort of a caretaker in some way maybe the show would not have been able to imply that the the house could have been still standing or whatever if it was just robotic grace but i don't know i think it says a lot about reginald hardgraves that he needed a chimpanzee and a robot that's all i gotta say yeah yeah (laughs) um okay let's let's talk about the handler who's one of our main villains i guess like antagonists here um all right. I don't know. The handler, <laughs> the handler's kind of, always kind of creep me out. Um, she is a person who works a high up position for the commission, which is uh, the, oh, what is it? The, the commission. I wrote down the full name somewhere, but. Oh, I think of it as like the TVA of time, <laughs> like the yeah. TVA of this, of this universe where they like are overseeing time and making sure that like timelines go out as they should. Yeah, and the handler's job is to make sure that all of the people working uh, as, um, and I now I'm blanking on the name for whatever they call them, the people who jump through time, travel through time mm-hmm. at the timeline, right? Making sure that they're all following their correct protocol and um, completing their tasks on time. Yeah, it's like the understanding that like uh, big events are going to happen, and we have to make sure that they continue, like they always happen. They're can't be a back to the future moment where somebody goes in and like orders a different donut and then you know this big event doesn't happen you have to make sure that that person gets the donut right right exactly um and that is also reminding me of the other show i cover for my own podcast riverdale where they Mm. say that there are certain events in time that no matter what you do when you time travel you can't change yeah and that's kind of similar here except that, that it's people's jobs to make sure that yeah certain events always happen so um because they have such a profound effect on time whether these events are good or bad things um you know maybe there are events that a lot of people would say are bad but for whatever reason the handler thinks they need to happen that way um and the apocalypse is one of them so yeah and uh the handler's played by kate walsh who i know from Grey's anatomy and private practice fame so it was really interesting to see her in this type of character and um kind of villain it up it was really fun yeah the handler has a very distinct look uh, Mm -hmm. about her and um gets shot in the head at the end of the season so (laughs) woo yeah that happens um another one of our main antagonists here Mm. is leonard peabody aka harold jenkins who is a semi love interest of vanya's in this first season and also someone who is trying to show vanya that she has abilities uh he's going to steal um reggie hardgrave's like diary or I don't know journal notebook whatever it's called um and discover Vanya has powers and then decides to use those powers to bring about uh, about the apocalypse unclear 
what his long-term goal was? Like, did he want, he he probably didn't want to destroy the world. I don't really know what he wanted. I guess just to like have a a superhero. Or to like prove he was better than Reginald Hargraves, maybe? Basically. I feel like this is the classic story of super fan gone wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. Like He's obsessing. Syndrome-ish. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, it's kind of that way. Um, he's he's also got a lot of the like classic serial killer kind of vibes to him. Like yes. kind of like slightly creepy loner comes across as like kind of charming but definitely has some sketchy undertones to him so he's interesting um we have agnes rofa who's the the gritty's donuts employee uh mostly serves as a uh, hazel's love interest and also like sometimes comic relief don't forget yeah she is a bird enthusiast a bird a twitcher twitcher as yeah. <laughs> she refers to herself <laughs> totally different thing agnes than i was thinking oh my gosh okay one of my least favorite lines in the whole show is when she's talking about the birds and how free they are and she's like they eat when they're hungry they sleep when they're tired when they're horny they dot 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 wink at hazel and i'm like stop we don't know if we needed that like okay what is this this flirting is this what flirting is like when you're like 60 Oh my gosh. So yeah. Donuts anyway. and birds. That's what we got to look forward to. Donuts and yeah. birds. Agnes mostly serves as like the the witness to several different crimes and then also the um person who makes it, like fulfills Hazel's transition from antagonist to protagonist. I don't know. It, yeah, like the it's not like the opposite of the heel turn for him. Like the yeah. pro turn. Um speaking of Hazel. Yes. Hazel and Chacha. <laughs> Two of, like, I think the best assassin pairing. Like, first of all, Chacha is Mary J. Blige. <laughs> I know. I was, I was like, yes. what? Of- so fun. So fun to see her like this. And then um, they're just ridiculous. Like, they're just ridiculous with their, they will blow up anything and they will do so with weird masks on their heads. <laughs> and that is, that's also from the comics. The main difference is in the show, for whatever reason, they swap the masks that they, oh. they wear. Hazel and Chacha. I don't know why. One is like sort of a dog kind of mask and the other is like a, a beaver or like a chipmunk or something. Yeah, I'm um, Yeah, they're kind of weird. Um, but yeah, uh, portrayed by... I was trying to see who plays Hazel. He's, um, but yeah, Mary J. Blige, and then the guy who plays Hazel is in Mindhunter. Oh, is like the main thing he's known for, I think. I mean, he oh, was this... delight as well. Oh yeah, Hazel, uh, Cameron, Cameron Britton. Britton. Yes, yeah. um, and uh, yeah, so he also plays a, <laughs> a serial killer, I think. In Mindhunter. I could be wrong. That that might be me misquoting. But based on the picture, that's what it looks like. <laughs> um, yeah, they're they're great. They're like antagonists and comic relief at the same time. Sometimes they have a lot of uh, fun scenes. Um, you've got this sort of pairing who are known as like being some of the best uh, people at the commission. But then there's also this like, even though their job is to like travel through time and, um, you know, they're like, just killers and all that they're also like oh underpaid under you know overworked like there's that whole sort of plot of hazel being like man now they're cutting our pay and they've already gotten rid of dental and now we just share the same crappy hotel room 
I really appreciated that like whole aspect to the commission that it's like an actual job and you have to like follow these rules and there's protocols and like health insurance and how much they get paid. And I, I really, I like when like supernatural things are relatable, I guess in that way. It's like, I also have had these conversations at work, so that's fun. Yeah. It's kind of fun. It's just like, uh, you know, sort of like the superpower children not being, like recognized as anything different within society it's the same kind of idea of like mixing this like very average normal day thing uh you know it's kind of um and then lastly our last real big character is detective eudora patch who's a, a detective sort of dies by getting involved in things that are just happen to be way too um over her head in terms of the supernatural, like a probably a really great detective, but unfortunately dealing with Hazel and Cha-Cha here, um, a little out of her depth. And she's played by Ashley. Oh my gosh. Medic, medic, we, okay. I don't know how to pronounce this last name. I apologize, but I do know the actress because she also plays a character in the show revenge, which is another show that I've covered on my podcast. I love revenge so much. (laughs) Um, so Eudora patch, like very sad, story here um goes from kind of having diego be like an ex-love interest who um is an an annoyance to her getting in the way of her investigations to deciding to rely on him but then not waiting long enough for him to get there as backup and that's when she dies does rescue klaus though so that's good yeah yeah she does she does have an impact there but i i really was into it for her connection to diego and just like throughout this entire season as i'm sure we'll talk about when we get into the plot but like diego loses a lot in this entire series or in this first season um there's a lot of loss that happens for him and i think one of the most impactful ones was detective patch definitely definitely um and so i know that took a long time because we kind of went into a lot of the characterization with each of those but the characters are what drew me in like mm-hmm. i'm <laughs> a person who spent a long time saying that i'm not interested in who superhero content and yet <laughs> still consume a lot of superhero content and i think what pulled me into this it was not so much the superpowers but it was the characters and the family dynamic um mm-hmm. as well as the style of the show i i can't like put my finger on what i like about it i love things that are not told linearly um so the the time travel element of it i found very interesting it's although it also like is my least favorite type of time travel because i only like the circular time travel and since this one is very much like oh no you can change complete timelines did those timelines happen did they not um and and that gets very confusing and like difficult to chart out but i i love that kind of thing um i love how we find out about all the powers very slowly throughout the show um and they don't bother to do like a even in flashbacks they don't like sit you down as an audience and say this is so and so's power this is so and so just sort of find out as they use them um and uh and and the show also like it's bloody and violent but kind of more in like a fun way oh was that a weird thing that i just said <laughs> um it's campy it's definitely campy. Yeah, well, you know yeah. like there's some fun there's some fun to it not saying that we are pro killing people no, um we do but, not condone murder on this podcast no, no. 
but it is like it's it's fun to watch and i think what for me makes it fun is the fact that it was it's like a family story with superhero icing it's not necessarily a superhero story with like x-men is superheroes with a family aspect because like they're all living together at the school and they like become siblings in this way but this is like a family that are also superheroes and the lot of the conversations that happen between the characters are sibling like conversations it's not like about a super like it's not about chasing a super villain we don't even know who the villain really is until we get we know there's a problem to solve right but we don't necessarily know who the villain is or what causes the apocalypse or any of this stuff until we unfold that through the season and i really appreciated that through the storytelling as well i agree um and even though I just said we don't condone murder on this podcast, um, which we don't, I do like the fact that the show doesn't shy away from murder. Like, yeah. one of my most frustrating things is when you have superheroes who, like, don't or who refuse to kill the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Like, again, not saying you should do that in real life, but, like, in superhero content, it's like when you have, like, a super villain, it's like, just kill the super villain, get rid of them. And this yeah. show does not shy away from being like, bad guy, boom, dead. <laughs> like, okay. So yeah. that was fun. Um, so <laughs> each character kind of has their own arc and their own plot points. And they're definitely interwoven. Um, and I had originally, when thinking about thinking about this, I tried to break them up into like three sort of main ones, um, which there kind of is. I mean, basically, there's the five returning from the future and trying to stop the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is kind of a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy, right? Like his actions to stop the apocalypse and things that are going on with the family also sort of trigger the apocalypse and Vanya's discovery of her powers and her storyline. And then woven throughout that are like the rest of the family dynamics that you have with Allison's story, Luther's story, Diego's story, Klaus's story. Yeah. So they all kind of go that way. Yeah. I think just like setting up the the start and ending of the the season as a whole might be helpful. So for, at the beginning, everyone's coming together for the funeral. We know that five isn't there. Where is five? He shows up because he like comes through some time portal and says, hey, guys, we have to save the world because the apocalypse is coming. It's eight days away. Like we have a countdown. We know exactly how much time this is going to take. And that kind of sets up all of this plot that takes us through to the end of, of the season. And um, that comes at the very end of episode one, which is like, I'm really grateful because I don't know if I would have like continued on if we didn't get that um because i was like oh okay this is what we're doing here you know it kind of gives us the reason for all of these things yes and (laughs) i keep saying this show is frustrating i would call this show as frustrating fun because it's like five has been missing for like 17 years comes back at the beginning of this show and everyone's like wow, five's back. And then about two seconds later, they're just like, eh, whatever. Like, they don't really have a big reaction to it. He comes back, and I mean, part of it is because he just, like, doesn't bother, like, get filling them in. He kind of just walks away. And then they just go on with their lives. And then it's like, he tells them about the apocalypse. And they kind of care and kind of just go on with their (laughs) lives. Like, Like, there's a lot of big things that should be big, dramatic, impactful moments. Mm. But the show... Like, 
I'm not saying they don't have any emotional drama. They do, but it's not a drama. So they don't spend right. like a long time. Like the point of the show is not to sit down and be like, oh my gosh, let's talk about where you've been and all that. It's it's no. How does the apocalypse about- make you feel? <laughs> like where are we with this? No, it's like yeah. we gotta go. We gotta move. Let's do this. Yeah, it's just it's interesting. Um, so we can kind of go through some of these quickly. I wrote I wrote down a lot more, but uh, I broke out the the plot lines with each character yeah. here. Um, Luther's story is mostly just like slowly evolving and the other characters finding out what's been going on with him in order for us, the audience, to see like what is it about his personality that made him the only one of all the children to stay at the academy? He never left. He didn't go off and have a life like the rest of them did when they turned 17, 18 and grew up and mm-hmm. left home and did their own thing. He stayed there and he seems to be the most sort of loyal to the Umbrella Academy as an entity, to his father. Um, he's mentions a couple times things about his father that the other children are like, what? And he's like, oh, you, you didn't have like personal talks with him? Like he definitely seemed to have the best relationship relationship with him um and it it takes a while for him to come to terms with the idea that he also suffered (laughs) childhood trauma and like isn't and then also trauma in his in his later years and uh is kind of hiding from that like wanting to put up a front of being self-confident when that's not necessarily the way he is yeah i I definitely saw luther as like um the favorite child in this Mm -hmm. family and he got like all of the pressure and all of the access that a favorite child would get um one of the things that you notice when you first see luther is that he's got very big shoulders a very big chest he's like um, unnaturally so yeah not just like bodybuilder but like yeah but something but the I wrote it off as like, oh, he's got super strength. So, you know, like this makes sense. But throughout the course of the season, we learned that this was like the effect of something his father did to him to try, you know, to save his life. But it ended up like modifying his body. And that the exploration of that was really interesting to me in terms of him finding that out and realizing what that did to his relationship with his dad and Pogo, who knew the whole time and didn't say anything. Um, that was one of like my favorite parts of of Luther's story. Luther's also like in love with Allison, which uh-huh. was really weird for me to. Yeah. I mean, I, they're not related, so no, nope, okay. but you can't can't have a can't have a piece of fiction about a bunch yeah. of people living together without two of them falling in love. Yeah, I mean, yeah, classic. Yeah, classic semi incest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also like the like weird because they would like dance around it, like either like go there or don't or go don't. there. Yeah. So um that was it was almost it wasn't quite um Circe level incest no. happening here, but it was definitely something. I would say it's closer to like Twilight mm, where they mm-hmm. all live together and are pretending to be a family, but they're not that adopted people are pretending to be a family. That's not what I mean. But I mean, like, in Twilight, they're pretending to be a family, and they are also all dating. Uh, so there's, I don't know. I guess that's sort of similar to that. Um, yeah, but so... 
I think it's also interesting because in the trust dynamics of this family, right, we've got Luther with this great trust between him and his dad, between him and Reginald. And then because of his feelings towards Allison, like the trust between the two of them is much stronger. So he's already like alienating himself from the family. And then even more so because he goes and lives on the moon for a very extended period of time. So he's like, he's, he's. To me, I mean, this is going to, he's like the lone wolf, right? Like he's out there just isolating himself because of the trust and access that he has through these relationships with these two people in his life. Yeah. So after being the last one left at the academy in his, I don't know, mid-20s, I guess, he suffers an accident while trying to go on a mission by himself. And because of that, he gets infused with some of Pogo's serum that we're assuming has some of his like DNA in it. Um, And so his upper body is part gorilla-y. He's also got like long hair on his back and arms because of that. Uh, And he's clearly very touchy about this appearance. Um, There are several jokes that particularly like Diego makes to Luther about his personality being maybe because he's uh, never had sexual experience with other people um, because he keeps things bottled in. And um, uh, yeah, Luther is like one person for the first half of the season. And then, yes, then (laughs) uh, kind of once he discovers that his father sent him to the moon, and then never read any of the reports that he wrote. He believes that he must have been a failure in his father's eyes and been sent away because he wasn't a good enough leader or number one. And so this takes a huge toll on his self-confidence when he discovers that he was basically just sent to exile for four years on the moon by himself, which must have been really difficult. And because of that, he um, suffers a lot through through the rest of the season, um, mm-hmm. has kind of a, a large breakdown. And um, and then eventually he's going to be really the one in Vanya's plotline of like trying to be a good leader, but doing it in the way his father would have, which yes. was harmful. And um, it's him who really makes the decision to lock Vanya up um, and uh, put her in the isolation chamber, which is also then going to <laughs> trigger her like fully becoming a villain. So. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Uh, Luther really just someone who's like he, he's he's trying but refuses to listen to his other siblings and therefore ends up just causing more problems. I mean, I don't know if this is real or not, but the fact that he's one maybe like he has like the least amount of emotional intelligence, and Probably. so he, he's he's here to basically be a carbon copy of his dad and do what his dad taught him how to do. Diego, I think, has a little bit. A little bit more than him, yeah. but not necessarily as much as others. I don't know. I'm I'm just speculating. Luther's just here. a real dick on Tarly, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luther I is my least favorite in the show. Like it just I just find him either kind of sometimes kind of boring or um oh this sounds horrible. The gorilla thing, like the upper body, mm-hmm. like I know that's like the point is that it's Mm -hmm. like kind of hard to look at but like yeah it's just like there's a few scenes where you get flashbacks or sort of like fantasy elements where he has like his his old physique and you're like oh that's (laughs) easier to look at so bad you know and i am surprised that no one ever compared him to like the hulk as well because i feel like there's some of that kind of in there yeah um not as dramatically obviously but um anyway (laughs) that's luther (laughs) yeah uh 
And then uh, Diego also doesn't have like the the most main plot line. He's kind of the sidekick in a lot of people's. Um, He's really, I don't know. I was going to say he was the most independent, but I don't even know if really that's the, the case, but he, he definitely views himself as sort of like, I'm I'm doing the right thing. Like he feels like he knows what's right, what's the the best way to be using his powers. He feels like he knows more than um, uh, the detective Patch and the other law enforcement. Doesn't want to have to jump through those hoops. He's constantly mm. getting like arrested, but also seems to have a good relationship with a lot of those people. So they just kind of let him off a lot of times. Um, he has a sibling rivalry with Luther. Uh, I mentioned that he was most angry with Vanya about the book. Um, really doesn't consider Vanya's feelings or trauma mm-hmm. or what, um, they went through as a child, but most only like how it affected him um, because of the the light that Vanya portrayed their family in. Um, outwardly, he's very cocky and confident, but like you mentioned with his speech impediment, this is clearly... Uh, partially a cover yeah i think this makes a lot of sense though because like if your superpower is precision and aim you can't necessarily i mean i don't know i that is not my superpower but i would imagine uh you'd be focused on one thing and not be able to really take into account you know other people's emotions or perspectives or anything like that so him thinking that he's number one compared to luther totally makes sense to me because his instincts have are so true tried and true when it comes to aiming something and luther's like hey this is something else we should be doing he's like no i know my gut this is what i should this is this is what i know this is what i do so i can kind of see where he's he's coming from um when it comes to those those type of things and like i said er earlier just the loss that diego goes through during this um during the season because we already know he's lost Ben at the start of the season. Um, we, his mom gets hurt. Grace gets hurt. Uh, robot mom, Grace gets hurt, which is almost a loss. And then detective patch is lost during this too. And so it, I think causes him to sort of like open up his perspective a little bit um, through these losses. But um, it was just, I just, it was a theme that when I rewatched the season, I was like, oh man, you're going to need some grief counseling, Diego. This is a lot. I mean, really, they should all have some. Yeah, they all should. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Like everybody needs therapy. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, in, in the course of this season, Diego also really struggles with the communicating of what's going on in his life to the other siblings like in episode one alone there is like a slight red herring of like luther thinking that maybe his father was murdered and then uh, based on the fact that his monocle has gone missing and then we find out that diego has the monocle but like doesn't tell anyone it until next episode and so you're like oh if you just told them that you had the monocle we could have saved like save this fight um there's stuff like that. He also uh, is the one who is going to turn off robot mom Grace um, and then blame it on Hazel and Cha-Cha. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like not really filling everyone in. Um, and, and that mostly comes from a place of wanting to protect Grace for various reasons. But yeah, he, he mostly spends the first season trying to help uh, Detective Patch with the Hazel and Cha-Cha crimes um, mm-hmm. and gets in her way and, uh, you know, 
helps, but he doesn't really get a whole lot done. He, he's in like a lot of scenes where he's kind of like helping Luther try to find five, helping Klaus stay out of trouble. Like it, it's just kind of mostly that. Um, and then uh, is is in conflict with the family over decisions to make about about Grace, about Vanya, um, different things like that. He ends up actually also inadvertently causing some of the damage or, you know, being part of the, the reason that Allison uh, gets injured at the end because um, he, uh, due to the fact that he shows up at the crime scene where Detective Patch is murdered um, yeah. and has his fingerprints all over her at that point because he's crying over her dead body. Um, because of that, he's a suspect to her murder and then it isn't able to help out uh, with the hunt for Vanya in, in episode nine. Because I just gotta say, if you're an assassin, why aren't you wearing gloves? Like, that's my whole that's my I mean, (laughs) like, you would think he would know. (sighs) I know, like, that whole scene, I was like, you know what you're doing, you know exactly what's gonna happen. Are you doing this on purpose? Like, yeah, I don't know, but I do appreciate Diego as a character in terms of how he impacted the plot. I think you're right, there weren't a lot of big, big moments here for him, but a lot of character development. Um, he also, I was thinking about Diego when thinking about like the costuming of the show is kind of interesting because like for a superhero show that's, you know, not in a cartoon form, they do sort of, (coughs) sorry, that's been bugging me. (laughs) They do sort of give each other like set costumes where they have like Diego especially has his I don't know his like leather pants and like black turtleneck sweater yeah. <laughs> sweater with like all the little knife pouches all over it I don't know what those are called not pouches like you know it's sort of like an like, artillery belt but they're all like knives um so he kind of wears that for most of the the show um Luther I don't I, it's like I'm picturing Luther but I can't even picture what he's wearing so it's he, just kind of nondescript he, pants like he a green jacket his jacket yeah he's yeah. really like he the whole time he wants to like cover up the fact that he's not normal up yeah. there so he's got a big coat on and so everyone thinks he's got like just a big coat and he's just yeah. like very built but yeah yeah um five when he comes back and realizes that he can only fit into like all yeah. of his childhood uniform that's like that's probably my favorite one that's just that he has to wear this like sort of prep goofy, school, like, yeah. prep school like little shorts and high knee socks and a little vest um I, Vanya wears a lot of sort of nondescript, like dark colors, like button up shirts. Um, definitely like trying to sort of hide herself, like seems to be very like, don't not calling attention to herself. Like that's really, and it totally tracks, right? right? Like yes. it totally makes sense because her entire life she was told to like hide herself and be play small. And so, yeah. um, which is why I really enjoyed her transformation at the end when she gains her powers because her outfit does change and her her wardrobe reflects that. Yeah. Uh, ben is in black pants and a hoodie for most of it. He's dead. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then um, uh, Allison's the only one who I feel like kind of just has sort of normal style, wears a lot of like blues, very fashionable um, dresses for long too. pants. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. And then Klaus... <laughs> 
<laughs> Klaus has like three or four sort of pieces of clothing <laughs> that he wears throughout that are, he's got these like leather pants with sort of gaps up the side as if they're tied up. I just look at them and go, that must take forever to put <laughs> <to laughs> off. They look so uncomfortable. I always look at him and I'm just like, I know this is the image you're supposed to see when you see him like, even though he takes multiple baths in the show, <laughs> I'm always like, "You're so dirty looking." <laughs> he's like, "Like you." Uh, I just imagine you'd walk up to Klaus and he would just like smell sweaty or something. <laughs> like, it's very like, I don't know, like piratey or something. Kind well, of, he's like, playing like a drug addict, with yeah, sort of like a '70s vibe, and you know, he's so got people, this... especially because we, we know we. I know we're not talking about his story yet, but like, um. We feel like he has a touch point in the 70s. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So I feel like he wants to like carry that with him through and his especially outfit. after that, he's he has more like he's gonna wear the sort of army vest. Um, he also wears this like fur-lined sort of like hip-length coat uh through a lot of it. Usually no shirt or like a like stretched out V-neck, but <laughs> Klaus's yeah. outfits are some of my favorites. Um, anyway, uh, so it, let, let's uh, let's talk about Allison. Um, Allison, a lot of her storyline has to do with her relationship with Luther and then her relationship with her ex-husband, Patrick, yeah. and her, her daughter, Claire, especially. Um, so, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about yeah, like, sure. how Claire fits into this? So we learn about Allison. Like, Allison arrives at the house um, for her father's funeral. No, and we know that she's divorced. Um, we know that she has a child. And the reason why their divorce has to do with her rumor ability. So it turns out that sometime, um, like, in her parenting. And I I can't really blame her. But I can also see Patrick's point to this. Um Allison would use her power, her I had a rumor power, to kind of, like, make Claire, her daughter, feel sleepy or do things, like, stop crying and things like that. And, you know, as a parent, I can totally understand, especially given Allison's upbringing and, like, not necessarily having time or tolerance for that shown for her in her own life. Um, but I also see from Patrick's perspective of, like, hey, you're totally stopping our kid from doing um you know, being a kid and being natural and and um, living things out. So this causes strife within her marriage. They end up um, divorcing. and But throughout the entire series, uh, at least season one, Claire is a big pull for Allison. Like, she's always thinking about, like, what would Claire think about this? I want to make sure that I, I call Claire, talking to Claire. She's definitely a very dedicated mother. Um, She's also, you know, not only does she have the pressure of having the superpower when she's parenting, she is also a very famous actress. And so um, she's got that pressure around her, too. So I can understand from Patrick's perspective, like, hey, life is hard enough. Like, why are we making it? any harder so her ability kind of kind of puts the puts the friction there for both of them i think it's interesting that the divorce seems to be mostly around her using her power on claire and not on the fact that it's also heavily implied that she used the power on patrick to yeah. make him fall in love with her in the first place unclear yeah. if patrick is also an actor um, he's in magazine. We're going to see him on some magazine yeah. covers. So at, at the very least, he he's probably famous in some way. I don't know. that. That's the part that I think was most sort of surprising to me was just that 
we don't hear about him saying like, hey, also you manipulated me and love right. me. Like, right. so may maybe he grew to love her. Maybe she stopped doing that. Maybe that was already something she had told him about earlier in the relationship. And he decided it's fine. He actually did like her anyway. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so because of the situation with Claire, that's why she has stopped using her power recently, it right. seems like. Um, it's also something that's interesting. It's like, you got to assume that the world knows that she has this power, probably, because yeah. she was, like, we're going to see the, the Umbrella Academy children were, like, famous. Like, they had right. lunchboxes written about them. Well, yeah, lunchbox, action figures. And so you, you assume that people knew her power and yet, I guess, didn't question it. Like, you, you would think that would be a bigger deal when it comes to, like, the acting world that people would be like, mm -hmm. oh, well, it's not fair that she's in this movie. It's just because she used her power. But maybe maybe she's also just a talented actress and so, like, ah, it doesn't matter. I, I don't know. She could, like, use her power yeah. to get people to not think about her power. Yeah, probably reading into this too much. Like, don't think about it too hard. But it's it's just something that's interesting. Um, because yeah. she used her power to have a different career that doesn't actually include her power, right? It's not unlike Diego, right. who's, like, using his ability. That is his career. Right. Career, right. in quotes. I don't think he's getting paid to be a vigilante. But hobby. hobby. Yeah. <laughs> hobby. Oh. Oh, and the other thing about Allison's story in season one is the fact that she's trying to sort of like make up for this lost time. I think she understands that like Vanya was ostracized from the family and she wasn't necessarily the best sister she could have been. As you mentioned at the start of the podcast, there's only two girls. Yeah. Um, so she kind of realizes like, hey, I could have probably maybe been a better sister. So um, she's trying to make this up with Vanya. Vanya's not necessarily buying it at the beginning, I think, because she knows, you know, like, hey, you could tell me anything, right? Like you, you have this power. How am I supposed to believe you? Also, she finds out later what her power, you know, Allison's already used her power on Vanya. Um, but it, it was kind of fun to see the sister dynamic kind of play out where Allison kind of became this like protective person. It wasn't necessarily done in the, the most compassionate or cleanest way. But I, I think by putting Leonard in the mix and having, Allison be kind of like the red flag alert person for for Vanya was kind of a, a good way to sort of try to start that it didn't it did not work did not work because she ends no. up like getting hurt super bad at the end by Vanya but um it was I, I I liked seeing this kind of try to come together yeah I mean Allison has great intentions when she is trying to bond with Vanya and hears about Vanya's new relationship with Leonard and thinks that Leonard might be hiding something, which she's right about. Like, all of this right. is accurate, all this is right, but she's not taking the time to think, like, okay, how does saying this to my sister, who I've been estranged from for 12 years, how would that come across? How would I feel if someone steps in and does this? Um, she doesn't really, like, do it in the... Okay, I've just rewatched like, the Star Wars prequels, mm. and <laughs> there's, like, some amount here that's like stop you know stop sending the the jedi to try and make anakin like <laughs> feel better when you're you, you need to like use a different tone when talking to him you need to think about who anakin is as a person you need to understand yeah. like his feelings and how you're approaching it and it's the same with this like you know vanya or at least you know how she's probably going to react to this stop trying you know even if you're coming at it from a good place recognize that she's going to view this as you like trying to control her 
even if you're not using your power. Um, but yeah, she she really gets involved with the Vanya Leonard investigation. Um, something that I think is funny about this show is that like a lot of the characters are all trying to solve the same problems. They're just not communicating with each other. So they don't realize they're all in the right. same plots. <laughs> like, it's they're, like, they're all doing the same thing. They just don't know it. <laughs> it's a total testament to like the failure of Reginald Hargraves because he like yeah. tried to build a team, like a super fire, fighter team, you know, like all this stuff. And they all are just so compartmentalized and focused on themselves that they can't necessarily work together to like what if what if they could work together we could have Klaus conjure a dead person that he could then control and then you could like have all the stuff happening around them like darts going through with Diego and super (laughs) you know like so much could happen but they don't talk they haven't learned at least yet in season one to to talk to each other yet maybe that's what season three will bring yeah, like Diego and Diego and Five are both trying to solve the uh, Hazel and Chacha issue, but they don't realize that they're both doing that because they're not communicating <laughs> with each yeah. other. Like it takes five episodes for them to realize they're in the same plot. It's just it's funny. Um, so yeah, uh, Allison is also going to be one of the people who really suffers from a direct attack by Vanya, even though Vanya is going to feel sorry for what she does, um, because she kind of yeah. semi-accidentally severs her vocal cords. <laughs> yeah, I think this is an important plot point. So throughout her, you know, like investigation into Leonard, she finds out that uh Leonard is actually Harold. This is not good. Goes to a cabin where Vanya's been kept by by Harold as the, as they've been exploring Vanya's powers and kind of confronts Vanya and says like, "Hey, this dude's not on the up and up." And Vanya like doesn't want to hear it because Leonard has been the only person that's really accepted her. And so in this rage and in this moment, Vanya takes her, sends her violin bow and kind of slits the throat of Allison, which is a direct hit not only to her livelihood and her being, um, but to her gift because it's yes. straight through her vocal cords. And so from that point on, Allison's not able to speak. Right. And of course, because this attack happened to Allison, Luther is going to be more upset about it, which leads him to his decision to lock Vanya up. So it's all connected there. Um, Yeah, Allison really comes at things from the right place. Like, I I like the um, sisterly connection. Uh, I'd say that the the combination we get the least of, especially in this first season, get a little bit more in season two, is we get almost no Allison and Klaus together. You're yeah. like, uh, what is their dynamic? Like, you have a little bit of Allison and Diego, not a ton, but a little bit of them together. A lot of Allison and Luther, a lot of Allison and Vanya. Like, almost no Allison and like five either. Like, well, five. Five alone has sort of a weird relationship with all the siblings just because he's so like hasn't been around. Right. Um, but but Allison seems to be the only one who maybe has kept up with like it seems like she's kept up with Luther over the years. Um, but maybe not anyone else. Eh, they're the only two who maybe stayed intact. Um, but anyway, so that was the, the first three children, and we've got three more to talk about in their plot lines. So let's take another quick commercial break and come back to number four. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so let's talk about Klaus's story. And Klaus also in the Hazel and Cha-Cha storyline, but doesn't, no one else realizes it for a little while. Uh, And Klaus's story also includes Ben's storyline. And we're going to talk about Dave. Yes. Yeah. So Klaus, Klaus gets involved with um, Hazel and Chacha <laughs> because he gets kidnapped by them, <laughs> and um, and they try to torture him. And of course, Klaus, being Klaus and loving torture, is not bothered <laughs> by this in any way, shape, or form because he's surrounded by dead people all the time. So he's just like, oh, and like high on on drugs most of the time what um, is this show rated out of curiosity like oh this is, good question on, i feel like if klaus wasn't in this you would have a solid <laughs> like one <laughs> one less rating um i don't know do, does netflix netflix rate its shows is that a thing let's I, see rated oh, tv like, mature okay yeah, i was gonna netflix say it's has, probably tv ma yeah yeah so it's rated tv mature and I think if you didn't have like Klaus in there, it would probably be, I don't know, PG, PG 13, because I don't, there's not a whole lot of language in the show. Um, there's obviously a lot of violence and there's a lot of uh, drug use and implied um, sexual innuendo, especially, which is most of which comes from Klaus, <laughs> but some other people. Uh, yeah. Klaus is <laughs> just, Oh, sorry. I was just picturing. No, Klaus is Klaus. Yeah, Klaus is very Klaus in that scene. Um, Like when they try to waterboard him and he just starts drinking the water and he's like, whoo, I was so parched. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, yeah, because Hazel and Chacha, I should mention, are trying to search for five. So they take Klaus to say like, hey, I got your brother type of thing. Tell me where your brother is. And so in this course of kidnapping, upon escaping, he... Um, Klaus steals this briefcase, which is used for time jumping. And um, in doing so, he time jumps himself back to 1968 and is there for some time. He says 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. He's there for enough time to fall in love with a man named Dave. And we see it in the show just as like, I think it was even just like 30 seconds. Like he's, he's there. We realize he's in like the 60s sometime. And then he comes back. Um, He was there for almost a year and when he comes back, Klaus is totally changed. This is like mm-hmm. a changing moment for him because he has found love and experienced love, which is something I don't think he has experienced. He may have experienced heightened um, feelings of intimacy or, mm-hmm. you know, sexual feelings, but not necessarily love. The man that, that he loved died in battle and he he knows it. And he comes back and he's kind of just like 
lost and really trying to deal with this so much so that like the first thing he does is go to the to the vfw and just to go look at a picture of dave to be with dave and he gets into a fight and diego helps him there but this this moment of him going back to 1968 i think is important not only for the character development of klaus and finding love and dave but also um because he's the only other person to time jump in the family mm-hmm. and can kind of under at, at least in the season um can kind of understand you know the fact that um five was gone for 15 years but it may have been 58 years you know like it kind yeah. of brings those two together a little bit more uh i really enjoyed klaus's story i love that they gave him this love interest that happened in the past that we're just told through klaus we kind of just get to see the effects of um and he also is used to like he talks to his dad too and he's able to get information because at this point we know um reginald hargraves is dead they're all there for the funeral we don't know how he died or why why he died so everyone the superhero family has to kick into superhero uh gear right and is like okay we gotta solve this we gotta solve the situation and um it's Klaus who's able, actually able to talk to his dad and find out that his dad committed suicide in terms of um, like trying to help the family come together to save the world for some reason. So he's very pivotal. I, I think, yeah. you know, I don't think it's any mistake. I was, when we were going through the characters before, I really enjoy the fact that Klaus is in the middle of the pack. I think he has a big impact and he's there for a reason. Yeah. So Klaus, like, he he definitely does have the most plot interactions with five of probably any of the other siblings. Um, he's going to help five early on with like the, the eyeball situation, which are mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. in some like sort of comedic scenes of him pretending to be five's father, which is really fun. He's like, Ooh, what's my backstory? <laughs> like, like he's very theatrical. Um, he's fun. Uh, he, the, time jump back to 1968 in the Vietnam War um, really like introduces a different type of trauma into his Mm -hmm. life, right? But beyond his upbringing and his um, various struggles with substance abuse and addiction, uh, he now also has this uh, lost love, but also witness to the person he loves death which Mm -hmm. must be even more traumatic right um and he he doesn't explain things right like he goes to the veterans of foreign wars uh building and gets into the fight with the other veterans um because they're like why are you here you don't deserve to be here and he's like i have every right to be here as much as you of course he can't explain like because that's me in that picture i was in the war (laughs) like you know 50 years ago and i haven't aged like i look and i haven't don't question it (laughs) um and now again like the show wouldn't the people in this building be like hey wait aren't you one of those superpower kids? Like, but no, you know, they don't, they don't go into that. Um, But, you know, we, we get a little bit of bonding with him and Diego because of this, Mm -hmm. uh, because Diego steps in. Um, It it seems like Diego always is like annoyed with Klaus, but then also is the one who's constantly driving him around. Like he has some sort of soft spot to his brother uh, or for his brother, but yeah, he, he's, so much more i think complex than like the other characters give yeah. him credit for like he he actually is the voice of reason a lot of time it's just that because they don't pay attention to him or don't um 
value his input, they kind of treat it like he's just being silly or whatever, when actually what he's saying a lot of times like does make sense. Um, probably at least part of that is because of Ben's influence <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, when he has the scene of going to the heaven limbo, wherever it is, he's yeah. going to talk to his, his father. Um, and his father also says that like, you know, he never discovered his full potential and that maybe he does have other powerful abilities. And that's when he starts being able to have that evocation ability to, to bring forth some of his um, uh, deceased and like manipulate that like and right like, use, them use them as like uh i don't know like in D D. <laughs> like <it's> like, <laughs> like your, in D, yeah like, exactly it's exactly. like your little sidekick that you can have stats of its own and can you can manipulate on its own is it uh, when i was reading the descriptions of the characters and i'm like ooh, eldritch tentacles that yeah. sounds like a D thing <laughs> yeah it um, can be yeah so uh, he uh he is pivotal in in some of the the final battle scenes in this season and then obviously has an even more uh, complex storyline in season two. I think we're going to talk when we talk about season two, talk a lot about how like mm. Ben's storyline also follows a lot of similar things with Klaus's. It's definitely very interesting. So um I still, he's still my favorite. I don't know what it is, but I love you Klaus know. Too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and the uh, Robert Sheehan who plays Klaus, um, uh, is a uh, British actor in several different things. I think the thing that I had seen him in was the um, uh, City of Bones movie, which mm. obviously was a pretty big flop for a movie, but <laughs> but he was in that, playing a very different character. It's just, it's I don't know, acting. It's so interesting acting. how people can do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, all right, now I've got to the two, two big ones here. Mm-hmm. Five and Vanya. So five... Who this is the one where it's like, let's take out my piece of paper, my pencil, and try to figure out what's going on. <laughs> when, you know, when you look at the Wikipedia pages for them, they're like so much longer than everyone else because he's got all of his time travel. Um, five wanted to, you know, he, he did spatial jumps as a child, wanted to do some time jumps. His father warned him against it. He did it anyway, jumps into the future, and he's like, oh, this is awesome. I can do this easy. Keeps jumping into the future. Boom, apocalypse. And he's like, oh, no, I jumped too far, and now I don't know how to come back. But, like, at the same time, that ends up getting him a job. Like, he jumps, yeah. jumps, jumps, and then the commission finds him and is like, hey, so uh, you're pretty good at this time jumping thing. Do you want to get paid for that? Like, do you want to yeah. help us like control time? And um, he does. He agrees to to like help save his family. To say like, okay, like I see that this happens. Uh, how how can I help save people? I guess I will do this work for you. But I I thought it was very interesting how that all came together. Yeah. So, would you be willing to spend? I don't know. 40 50 years by yourself mm. in the apocalypse in order to have the ability to time travel oh i thought you were gonna say like to save my family i was like, oh well maybe if i had that motivation <laughs> yes but just yeah. to just to go out and time travel uh n- not if i couldn't go back not yeah. if i wasn't in control yeah. of it yeah you probably really should have learned that oh. yeah I mean, it's like, was he trying to jump? Like, it's unclear when when he was jumping in the beginning, when he first discovers this ability, is he jumping, like, intentionally a certain distance into the future? Or is he just randomly jumping and seeing where he lands? That's what it seems like. I think this Uh, is like uh, kids playing hopscotch, but through time. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much what it is. So he ends up coming back 
to the present. Um, and he's like, oh, perfect. It's eight days before the apocalypse. Why not give yourself more time? Why not come back, you know, a few? I don't he's not know. good. He's not good at the jumping. He's not good at it. He keeps saying he gets the calc. He was doing the calculations wrong. And I think part of that is also that he jumped back, but somehow accidentally jumped back to his body from when he first mm. left. I don't know. It would have been interesting if he jumped back and his body was that of a 30-year-old, but I mean, not as fun. It's more fun when he's a 13-year-old running around with all, everyone else. But um, so, yeah, again, they're all the same age, but then now Klaus is 10 months older <laughs> because of his, you know, he's lived 10 m- more months and then five has lived uh, like 38 years. Or is that right? I don't know. He's 58. So 28 yeah, years more yeah. than everyone else, I guess. I don't know. Unclear. Um and uh, he he comes back, and the one clue he has about the apocalypse is that he found Luther's dead body clutching a prosthetic eye, and he believes that the prosthetic eye belongs to the person who created the apocalypse. Um, but of course, so- shortly finds out that prosthetic eye has not even been <laughs> manufactured yet, <laughs> based on the serial number. Um, probably my favorite v- reveal from the whole show, like my favorite scene, is when you find out that Leonard... Uh, gets one of his Mm -hmm. eyes damaged and you're like oh my gosh he's the guy with the prosthetic eye Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you already know he's a bad guy at that point but i just love when that comes together yeah me too i was like oh here it is it's the eye and then then they fit the eye in the his eye it makes it makes a good fit yeah makes a good fit so um hazel and cha-cha who are the commission members come to track down five because five has deserted his position he was supposed mm-hmm. to fill out a five-year contract working How for them but apparently didn't it, it's sort of complicated it's like he was supposed to be working with the commission for five years but because he was doing so much time traveling in that time probably felt like more than five years to him as well um and uh when the handler finds him um uh, later on, I think it's like episode five or so, when the handler finds him and, and gets him back, he ends up returning to the commission in the middle of this season in order to use that time to gather information about who caused the apocalypse. He sort of discovers that Hazel and Chacha have been tasked to protect someone named Harold Jenkins in mm-hmm. order to make sure the apocalypse happens. And that's when he realizes Harold Jenkins is the person who's going to bring about the apocalypse. Um, so then he has a lead new lead yeah we don't know how but we will know how he ends up bringing upon the apocalypse yep um so when he returns to the present his family finally kind of get together and are like all right let's take down harold jenkins who because of allison's research discovers is leonard peabody and it's like no let's go save anya because this is a problem now so it five storyline is is fun i i'd say like his uh oh oh my gosh i forgot to even talk about dolores (laughs) i was gonna say i think dolores is my favorite part yeah so this is also i i mentioned in the kickoff show um if you're not familiar you definitely need to check out the hillywood show on youtube and their umbrella academy parody um they usually do sort of music video style parodies but in the umbrella academy they do like a fake documentary sort of with five and it's as if a film crew is interviewing five and his return from the future and his relationship with Dolores so it's mostly about (laughs) five and Dolores and and like they use a lot of the same scenes from season one um, but basically sub out everything five's talking about with the apocalypse and instead sub in five's relationship with Dolores and so he's like trying to introduce his family to Dolores and Dolores is the top half of a mannequin. Yeah. (laughs) 
who he like nurtures and carries with him all throughout time like yeah out all of the time it's a good (laughs) it's just really good comic relief i think it is it's funny because you have this 13 year old character Mm -hmm. who's supposed to be like 58 acting like a 58 year old who's in love and talking to a mannequin which you understand like he was stuck in the apocalypse for so many years by himself (laughs) for 30 years with dolores and that uh you can imagine someone would need some sort of outlet to to communicate with yeah i mean i can't say i wouldn't pick up a mannequin in the apocalypse (laughs) you know what i mean like (laughs) i can't I, i don't judge him for it it's just really really funny as it as it plays out yeah it is um there's a lot of a lot of fun scenes with Dolores and um there's like a weird scene where he gets drunk in a library and he's just like yes. clutching the mannequin and you hear some people be like, Where's his parents? <laughs> we need to call the police. Um so it, yeah, Dolores stays throughout the, this season. Um I don't remember if Dolores is in season two. I don't think so. He drops Dolores off at the store at That's like right. towards the end of this season and tells the lady, like, get the Get her something nice to wear. She likes sequins. <laughs> she likes sequins. Uh, yeah, that's fun. Um, uh, so Five really doesn't have a lot of patience for his siblings throughout most of it. And well, he's very focused on his job. Like yeah, he, like I think Five's purpose in the show is to move time. Like he he's very true to his power right like in the plot because he's moving everything forward he arrives there's eight days okay now there's seven days now you know like he's always constantly reminding us how much time we have left and um that's i think what we need from him like it's fun that we get dolores but yeah it's also like um the use of his ability to manipulate time both through his power and through the commission um, is what brings about one of my favorite uses of storytelling in the the season, which is the back-to-back episodes, uh, the day that wasn't and the day that was, mm. um, where we have an entire episode uh, mid-season. It's, it's pretty interesting. We have this entire episode that then gets erased by five um, because of his going to the commission and, and changing time. So in that episode, you have a lot of bonding between Luther and Allison and like a weird dance number, but like, it's also great. It's we, fun. Yeah. We like the dance number in the park. Um, and uh, discovery by Vanya that um, of her own abilities mm-hmm. and of Leonard, uh, Leonard's sort of maybe his less than honorable intentions mm-hmm. with her. Um so there's a lot of stuff like that that happens in this day that wasn't. And then when it gets a race and you have the day that was, slight differences in actions by characters cause complete changes in the timeline, which is, is it's just fun to see like this is what could have happened and then this is what did happen. Because when I was watching it the first time too, I was like, oh my gosh, wait, we're, we're like solving everything and it's only mid-season. And then they they rewind it. So that's really fun. Yeah, I think one thing just to mention about the commission itself is uh, its communication method, which is um, <laughs> just putting slips of papers with directions into tubes that like will just show up anywhere. Um, yeah. And I really appreciate. So that's kind of one of the ways that Five can also manipulate time is by giving instruction to certain people for certain things through the pneumatic tubes of time. 
Yeah. So this is uh, much like a like a when you go to a bank yep. drive-in and they shoot those little tubes <laughs> over to you, which always fascinated me as a child. <laughs> um, there's uh, another. Oh, this is just me. Another YouTube recommendation. Um, <laughs> there is a sort of uh, fan created. I don't. I wouldn't really call it a parody, but sort of similar idea to the Hunger Games um, called Job Hunters. That's a two season series on YouTube as well, and they use that same style of communication of the like little tubes that come out of the wall and have directions on a slip of paper. Having worked at a bank, it's very fun. Yeah, <laughs> I would imagine so. I would think it'd be fun. Um, so that's that's five story. And then Vanya's story. And one could argue that season one is really Vanya's story. It's the story of a person who grew up in a superhero family, but was told that they had no special abilities, told that they were ordinary, um, mistreated by their father and then by extension their siblings who never really paid them much attention um pretty funny flashback scene where the kids are um stopping the bank robbery and then vanya is asking her father can i go play with my siblings (laughs) as if they're playing And he's like no there's nothing special about you yeah i mean it was her story is like Yes, I believe this season one is the story of Anya discovering who who they are. And um, in that way, it's very relatable, you know, as a human. <laughs> like shedding away all these layers of trauma, sh- shedding away all of these ideas of who, I, you know, you think you need to be. Um, and really just letting yourself be yourself. Um, it was really, really cool to see personified through superhero abilities in, in Vanya. And... Also, just how vulnerable someone like this is through the manipulation that she she gets from Leonard. Um, and also to like a certain extent, Allison, like not being able to trust Allison because of the manipulation that she's experienced in the past. Um, Leonard like manipulates her so much to take her off of like medication and makes her like do he shows up so innocently he's like hey can i have lessons on the violin because vanya is also like a struggling violinist she's not necessarily you know first chair which she conveniently becomes because leonard kills the first chair person yeah Um, oh (laughs) like like maybe maybe don't kill the first chair person there were probably other you could have just like I don't know. I mean, I was going to say you could have just kidnapped the first year person, but like, that's also not great. I feel like well. Leonard knew exactly what he needed to do to get Vanya to this point. I think he knew what steps to take. I think he 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 calculated everything. Um, so much as so like breaking into her apartment and leaving her flowers, knowing that this is something that she probably hasn't experienced before, but also she wouldn't bind him breaking into his or her apartment if she got flowers out of the deal like the bar was so low right like the bar was so low because of what vanya had experienced in her life prior to that it's also like pretty quickly into the show when you realize that leonard is not 100 percent on the up and up like you find out that he has taken her medication and is getting rid of it um early on you find out that he has murdered the first chairperson um it's really interesting how he 
communicates with Vanya um also like he is constantly like oh that's right you were you were part of that like superhero family thing right like he acts like he doesn't care about that even though he cares the most about that out of anybody um he employs a lot of like subtle manipulation tactics of trying to separate her from her family and make her distrust Allison which is not completely unfounded like it's built on this history of them not having a great relationship themselves. And so he uses that uh, to try and separate them further and make Vanya mistrust Allison. Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting because at the beginning, Vanya's like her, she's always been separated from her family, right? Mm-hmm. Like this has always been part of her identity. Um, but given the event of her father's death, she has an opportunity to kind of like redo that in a way. And um Leonard's like, oh, no, 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 we're going to keep this. We're going to keep this the same. I need you to be not connected to to your mm-hmm. family. But you can see throughout Vanya's entire story just how much she loves her family. Like, she really does want to be a part of this family. She wants to make sure that people are there. She's she's putting up a boundary by, like, moving out and not being there and stuff like that. But she, at the end, when... She's discovered her power. She knows it's not great. She goes home. Like, she goes home to, like, see and ask advice in terms of what to do, To which is when Leonard is like, uh, yeah, I know what to do. I will put you in a chamber that dad built the first time. Um, but she she really loves her family. And and knowing, like, uh, related, I could relate to, like, loving a family and not fitting in. And that, yeah. that was is what makes Vanya's story so compelling to me. Yeah. Like she's the, the one who was, you know, left out. She's got like, even though they're all the same age, seems like the youngest in a lot of ways. Um, So we, we kind of skirted all around it, but she had superpowers when she was a child. Her father didn't know how to handle right. them, um, didn't know how to control them, and uh, realized how sh- powerful she was. So, of course, there's that irony of someone who's grown up thinking they had no power when really they had the most power. And uh, so because of that, makes her forget about her abilities and um, puts her on some medication, quote unquote, for her nerves, which really just stifles the ability this is also like so patriarchal (laughs) like this is this is where like women being put on medication for nerves is something that's been like throughout history so this is why like this is again that lens that that you know i'm not saying that this was any you know conscious choice by the creators or writers or anything like that i just think you can really see how Vanya's emotions were treated and the the way she was treated in the family is like we don't understand them so we have to medicate you and I, I think that that's something that still happens today to many people but especially women yeah yep so uh because of because of that Vanya um grows up feeling ostracized by her family and it it no no wonder she wants to lean on Leonard when it's the first person to make her feel special in a really long time. Right. Um, and uh, she also, you know, we talked about her. She's in this orchestra. Um, she's a violin teacher, but she's also in an orchestra um, as third chair violinist um, due to Leonard's 
removing the first chair, Helen, from the picture, who, let's be fair, Helen was a jerk to Vanya. Not a reason to kill her, but was a jerk. Um, fair point. Fair point. Yes, yes. Uh, but she gains confidence from Leonard and uh, also her discovery of her ability to achieve that part, um, you know, is going to be in this performance with the orchestra ends up did she murder the whole orchestra now i'm trying to remember well so yeah so <laughs> like so we have like this injury with allison at the cabin yeah. she's like doesn't know what to do she come ends up coming home gets put in the gets put in the chamber she gets really really upset breaks out of the chamber but she's still got this concert to go to so like the whole family is like hey how we gotta find vanya we gotta find vanya and klaus like just looks in the paper and it's like hey uh, she's got this concert tonight she's why don't we just go there why don't we go there and it's like she's being featured she's you know first chair she's there so when she's on stage she, her power is activated and through that everyone pretty much gets injured and this is like where we can see oh it's vanya that's starting the apocalypse like okay yeah. she's kind of like the bomb in this situation right like she's gonna be blowing everything up because before we get to the concert um there's like like that her breaking out of the the chamber implodes their house implodes their their um academy so you know you think oh i guess that was it but no she like at the concert she's all glowy she's all uh, playing um her concerto and in the in the course of that ends up injuring everyone and that's like the start of the apocalypse and that's when the family comes and, and five is like okay i know a way out <laughs> like hold that thought hold that thought hold that thought right. <laughs> Yeah, let's uh let's just let's just jump to the to the past. Um, which just seems like avoiding the problem more so right, than solving yeah. the problem. Yeah, <laughs> it's I like, was very, still gonna happen. I'm very confused because I was like, is this stopping it? I don't, I don't know. think so. Yeah. It's it's really interesting how, you know, the show in the comics, Vanya's transformation into the supervillain, um, which is spurred on through her trauma, suppressing her abilities, and her family's actions of locking her up. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> Luther. Um, mm -hmm. All mm -hmm. of that, you know, results in her sort of, it's unclear exactly what happens, but she seems to be taken over by her power, right? Like, she's got, like, the glowy eyes and, like, right. outfit turns into white and stuff. In the comics, she actually sort of, like, turns into like a human violin looking oh. person i don't know it's hard to explain <laughs> <laughs> if you look up an image of the apocalypse suite like the cover of the graphic novel um shows what i'm talking about it's hard to describe um she's a very curvaceous violin it's it's interesting <laughs> so uh be because of that she also takes out her anger at pogo because pogo clearly knew the yeah. truth and murders Pogo. So antlers with antlers, like mm. yeah, like throws him into some antlers. Um, she has done a lot of bad, destructive things here. And you may be thinking at this point, wait a second, how can we recover from this? How can we ever like Vanya again? And that's where the show says, "Easy, we'll make her have amnesia and forget everything, so that <laughs> so she doesn't know she's done this." It's like uh, we'll see in season two. It's like we'll hold that thought. Fix it. <laughs> it's season two. Cause can't have you hating one of our main characters, right? 
um yeah it's one of those it's one of those things that you're just like sometimes in shows you're watching something like how are we going to recover from this <laughs> it's like total reset like that's just what we have to yeah, do that's what we do and then they woke up and everything was fine it was all oh. just a dream no luckily they well part that. of me like sometimes i'll get like really annoyed when shows do that but because the show has like played with time so much i think it's a lot easier for me to digest and swallow and accept that this is happening, you know, yep. because of all of the different powers that everyone has. Like if Allison rumors someone, okay, I can accept that they don't remember this anymore. You know, like, yeah, you just have to kind of trust it and move along sometimes. Yeah. Trust the process. Yeah. Trust the process. So, uh, and then of course, at the end of the, the show we've got the discovery that um, and this kind of circles back to luther too right like the discovery of oh vanya's gonna somehow like break apart the moon <laughs> and that's gonna oh, destroy the yeah. world yeah so like what happens she's at this concert and so her sound and her ability is like injuring everyone but at the same time like she gets just like she gets directed in such a way that her ability to control like, sound, like in her power yeah. yeah like beams all the way to the moon and the moon starts to crumble and that's what actually ends up ending the world or being the apocalypse is because parts of the moon start falling on earth and that's when five is like hey uh okay real quick we're just gonna jump jump through this portal <laughs> yeah and so there's a little bit of confusion i have with like is this what caused the original apocalypse because i don't think necessary put it this way based on the fact that five in the future was able to see the corpses yeah of his siblings that don't look that destroyed and also see like you know him clutching the eye that looks like he just pulled out you get the idea that maybe there was a different battle yeah. originally still with you know harold jenkins and vanya um and that something she did destroyed the earth but the way that the earth is destroyed with this sound moon impact sound like seems much more destructive and they like jump just in the nick of time um yeah. speaking of which the other person who jumps just in the nick of time we've we've skipped over some of the stuff with hazel and cha-cha because you know rewatch the show if you want <laughs> the full recap um but like hazel gets a, a briefcase and jumps with the donut lady agnes <laughs> they're yeah. like bye we're gonna go live <laughs> together i do, <laughs> do want to mention that i think that the hotel that they go to in the show is the hotel from schitt's creek i think <gasps> it's the same hotel I think oh I'm, I did, sure. I'm gonna go back and, and rewatch that bit because I wasn't thinking about that at the time of watching it but oh that would be really cool if it's like like the same set you mean yeah yeah okay that would be we, that'd we be pull cool. up and I'm like hold up I know this place we will do some research on that and let you know next time if that in fact is the same okay that's mm -hmm. one of my other favorite things to look at in tv shows and is um when they use the same sets mm -hmm. so like when Riverdale used the same set as Smallville for one episode <sighs> anyway and then Good. we pretended that it was also in actual kansas <laughs> that was funny okay um listen to my riverdale podcast if you want more wow. <laughs> information on this yeah so it, overall thoughts on season one mm. did you feel like it was too much of a tease ending of like mm. This is very clearly a to-be-continued kind of situation. Um, you know, like sometimes when they have shows with multiple seasons, you could say, oh, you could just watch the first season and then stop. I mean, I think you could. Like, I think you get a good, interesting story, mm -hmm. but you definitely don't get a conclusion, really. 
Yeah, like they didn't stop the apocalypse. Right? <laughs> no, they like, did. They just failed. <laughs> they just jumped. Um, I think like overall season one for me was enough to keep me interested in the show mm-hmm. um, and keep me watching into season two. I, again, always appreciated the creative storytelling and the use of superpowers combined with trauma. I think a lot of times trauma is implied and talked about on the periphery of superhero stories. But this time, I think it's like definitely at the center and the heart of um, the story as a whole. So um, for me, I was I was already invested. But I think season one does it stand alone on its own to your point i think yeah you could watch it and you could get an an okay story out of it but it it definitely isn't satisfying i think of um like russian doll has two seasons you could totally just watch russian doll season one and be okay with it like it's a complete a complete arc season two you have to sort of have watched season one to understand but you could also still it's like its own little capsule here i think you're you're gonna probably want to continue on if you watch season one. Yeah, probably. I, I would say for sure. Um, so anything else big picture from the show you want to talk about? No, I think, I mean, I think we covered all of the bases. I I think, um, you know, it sets us up for a good season two. Having watched season two, I kind of know what happens season two. Um, but I think we covered all the big plot points. And I mean, donuts also, I just want to say donuts were super big. Talk about donuts. Eat a donut while you're watching the show. Uh, donuts. Maybe I loved, crave donuts at the time. <laughs> um, I love the donut shop. The styling of the, the donut shop was also really good. But other than that, I think we covered it all. Do you, here's a fun question. Do you have a moment from the show where like a particular song that was used mm. like really made you enjoy that scene? Um, I, I was noting a lot of them early on. Like for me, I love when they have, uh, they have a scene where, where Pogo is questioning Klaus about like the missing box that contains the notebook, because the, the way that in the show that Leonard finds out this information about Vanya is because he, um, was a, a huge fan of the superheroes, happened to be born on the same day, and then uh, sort of has a plan to um, find out more information about them. Steal happens to steal the journal on um, Hargreaves from a dumpster that Klaus threw mm-hmm. away, and then like a flashback scene of Klaus doing all of that and throwing <laughs> throwing the contents into the dumpster, and they play Goody Two Shoes by Adam Ant. I don't know why I just like love that little montage with this with the music. The the way they use songs for action scenes and for flashbacks are some of my favorites in the show. And I also think like they do. I can't think of any off the top of my. I'm really bad with remembering specific music at specific moments. Oh, gotcha. Um, but like the way they use it in closing. Like mm-hmm. it to like sort of evoke the feeling of the episode or what kind of to ex- to experience next um, is also really good. I, but thanks to your notes, I do have one of them like in the in the department store when um, oh, yeah. Cha-Cha and Hazel are like searching for five and they just basically blow like the whole place up. Don't stop me now playing during a yeah. scene like that was really, really fun. Yeah, those are fun. And, and five's ability to teleport. Uh, throughout that scene yeah. really makes the, the fight scene really fun. Um, just like popping out of one place into another. He he does that as well in the the uh, donut shop fight with Istanbul. Yes, also a good one. Yeah, also a good song. So if you 
haven't gone through and and noticed the music i mean to me it was like very obvious just because maybe it's just because i knew all the songs (laughs) i was like oh this is fun uh whereas that doesn't happen in a lot of shows but anyway um yeah so that is most of season one i think we covered a lot of the characterization our coverage of and recap of season two will probably end up being a little bit more plot and a little less character since we covered a lot of that here um although the characters certainly do develop and change in their own ways in season two as well. Um, And of course, the use of time is going to be Mm. very heavily used Mm -hmm. in season two. So we'll get to talk a lot more about that. Um, And if you're into time travel and you're into like period-based content, that's going to be a fun thing to talk about. Yes, agreed. Agreed. I like season two. Yeah. All right. Well, that sums up the show so far. Thank you for joining us and make sure to come back next time for our recap of season two, getting all geared up for season three. Make sure you also check out everything else that's happening on Post Show Recaps and subscribe to the Umbrella Academy feed at postshowrecaps.com slash umbrella pod. You can also check out all of the other binge show recaps at the postshowrecaps.com slash binge uh, on that feed. You can also follow Post Show Recaps on Twitter and check out all of their posts and updates of different podcasts there. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Frail Mary. It's like Hail Mary, Hail Mary but frailer. One day I'll get that right. Uh, Marissa, what else are you up to and where can everyone follow you? Oh, boy. Well, I can be found on Twitter at MarsBars, M-A-R-Z-B-R-S. I am wrapping up the staircase coverage with Ariel here on post show recaps. And then I've got this going on and we just wrapped up. This is us talking about time and jumping and things like that. If you're into network family dramas, uh, (laughs) there are some episodes covering the last half of uh, this final season for This Is Us that just wrapped this week. So you can find all of those on Posture Recaps. I'm also in the Posture Recaps Discord quite often, which you can gain access to by becoming a Patreon of uh, Posture Recaps, which you can do so by going to patreon.com slash recaps. And if you join at any level, you get access to our Discord. We also do have exclusive podcast feeds that have different shows on them. So if you'd like to join that and get access to those you can do so at their appropriate levels but uh the discord is a place to hang out so if you like to do that join us there mary what do you got going on well it's uh let's see probably by the time this airs it's getting even closer to big brother coverage time so you can check out uh, me on rob has a podcast covering big brother 24 this summer and you can also check out me on kowski cast that's cow with a k uh for my coverage of season six of riverdale currently which is just always continuous and will never end um (laughs) over there with kirsten mckinnis so definitely check that out all right everyone until next time Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.